COVID and give us a good lesson. Um, and then also to, you know, to policymakers. That's Dr. Leo Poon, who co-directs the Hong Kong University Pastoral Research Poll. You will hear more about him and his work in this podcast. Hi, and welcome to Conversations with Scientists. I'm Vivian Marks. What is nice about interviews these days is that they are mainly video chats. So I can see people and they can see me. They can also see when I don't understand something. That's pretty practical. Pre-pandemic, I used to do phone calls for interviews, and that feels like a century ago. Video chats feel much more modern to me, and they are armchair travel for me and perhaps for you too a little bit. They are not the same as lab visits, but still more informative than a phone call and involve more senses, more impressions than a phone call. Like most science journalists, I report on COVID-19, and I had been wondering about researchers in the global south and their COVID-19-related research. I did a piece for Nature Methods, and there's a link in the show notes to the story. And in the show notes, there is also a transcript of this podcast, too. As usual, in doing that story, so much fell on the cutting room floor, and that is why I do podcasts, to share more of what I hear as I do stories. As I spoke with researchers in different countries, I felt they were all sharing how they were innovating and finding the stamina and creativity to keep going in most difficult circumstances as they dealt with COVID-19. That's why I felt these episodes should be called Creative Grit. Many of these researchers were called to the front lines to help their country build capacity and to train others. One previous podcast was based on a conversation with Dr. Mary Selin Baba of the University of Medugri in Medugri, Nigeria. And today I would like you to meet Dr. Leo Poon. Dr. Leo Poon, along with Dr. Roberto Bruzzone, who was traveling when I spoke with Dr. Poon, co-directs the Hong Kong University Pasteur Research Poll. Pasteur is in the name, but it's not Institut Pasteur, the institute in Paris that focuses on immunology and infectious disease. But there is a partnership that involves Institut Pasteur. The Hong Kong University Pasteur Research Poll is affiliated with Hong Kong University. Here's Simon Muller, who is communications manager of the HKU Pasteur Research Poll, who explains this affiliation. It's affiliated to the University of Hong Kong directly with a a partnership with Institut Pasteur that started now 21, almost 22 years ago. Got it. And uh, since 2013, the laboratory is uh, completely included in the School of Public Health of the University of Hong Kong. So it's an institute with co-directors Roberto Bruzzone and Leo Poon. Yeah, as you can see, we have Roberto and Leo as uh, both co-directors right now. And it's really showing the partnership between Institut Pasteur and uh, HKU because Leo uh, comes from HKU, is a, um, is a pillar from HKU, and Roberto comes directly from Institut Pasteur. So really, the idea is to have those two heads, um, two directors for, for this lab, and we, it's, it's, it's a pretty amazing collaboration, actually. What is worth knowing about Dr. Poon and his lab at Hong Kong University is that he is connected to others through a network called Pasteur Network, which connects Institut Pasteur in Paris and partners around the world devoted to infectious disease. It's not that the institutes are all dependent on Paris. They are independent institutes. And I have a separate podcast with more information about the Pasteur Network. 
The members of the Pasteur Network are scientifically connected in many ways, and this network turned out to be quite crucial at the height of COVID and continues to be an important link. Here's Leo Poon. Yeah, I mean, we, we are good partners, so we have been trying to exchange information and get to know the situation better at that time so that uh, everyone can be better prepared for the COVID. This network did not develop in one day. No. So basically, we have been connecting to each other for many years. Well, I mean, Hong Kong U Pasteur is a part of the Pasteur network. Um, I don't know, for many years, I mean, about 20 years. Um, so, so basically, we know each other quite well. We have uh, regular meetings. And then um, each year, our directors uh, in Pasteur, Hong Kong U Pasteur, will f- flew to past Paris to meet each other. So basically, we, we know each other is not something just... It's all in a sudden look on somebody else's store and say, hey, hey, what is the situation? So this is not the case. So we, we, we do have uh, connections. Connections have helped in the battle against COVID-19. They might actually be essential, these connections. This is not a one-country battle. I should say that Leo Poon's lab identified the virus that causes severe acute respiratory syndrome, SARS. In 2003, there was a SARS outbreak of this viral respiratory disease. It started in China and then spread to four other countries. It was not COVID-19. It was SARS in 2003. The lab also detected the virus that causes MERS, the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, the H5N1 avian flu, and the causes of other zoonotic diseases. When I spoke with Leo Poon, Hong Kong was yet in another wave of COVID-19. When COVID-19 first hit, labs scrambled for supplies, for ways to test samples from people for the virus, to study the virus, but it wasn't like everyone had stockpiled supplies. And supply chain issues hit labs all around the world quite hard. These days, there are still supply chain issues. When COVID-19 emerged, Hong Kong University Pasteur Research Pool helped many labs, also those in the Pasteur network. They helped with supplies and with advice on techniques to detect the virus. Here's Leo Poon. We do have a warehouse, but then, you know, we are only a very small university in compared to the university in overseas and in U.S. But we do have a small, very small warehouse. So we do stockpile something. When we know that there's a problem, we already try to contact the manufacturer or the local distributors and just ask for reagents. But, but we do have a hard time. We did have a hard time in the past. So some reagents getting running low, right? Only just about the limit, right? Um, and, and, but we always try to talk to the local distributors. And because of, we have been working with them for a long time, so they know that we are actually doing something for Hong Kong. It's not only for my own research. So they try their best um, to try to, you know, give a call to headquarters to ask for extra uh, surprise. Oh. And, and so that we, we, we literally, I don't think we had uh, to stop our work uh, uh, for, for even for a single day because of wow. the, because the shortage of supply. And I mean, uh, uh, examples are, what is it? Consumables, so buffer, uh, right, right. enzymes. Uh, um, maybe um, well, when we do the next generation sequencing. So there are some kits. Uh, which is essential for our pipelines. And we, we had the time in running low, I mean, of these reagents, uh, but, but we are still okay. I mean, we just keep on harassing the, <laughs> the, the, the distributors and just say, hey, look, I mean, we only can run for another week, 
right? After that, um, we will in trouble. Of course, I mean, sometimes uh, we can always talk to other colleagues in, the, in Hong Kong. Hong Kong is a small place. I mean, if we want, we want to have something, we always try to get someone whether they have uh, any research for us. Um, so, I mean, yeah, we, we, we had a hard time, but uh, not terribly bad. Not like um, someone, some story that you heard in the news and say they have to stop the work. Basically, we have our in-house pipeline, so we, which can be very robust and we can actually have a much shorter turnaround, turn, turnaround time. Um, and then we can generally sell maybe within 48 hours for the full genomes, or for urgent tasks. But, that, but then um, we can also try to uh, um, uh, send a big batch of reactions to the core facility so that they can do the next generation sequencing for us. So that, I mean, the, the turnaround time is longer, but we can handle many samples at the same time. So, I mean, it depends on the situation. Sometimes when we have an ad hoc case, uh, we really want to have the result as soon as possible, then we will try to uh, do this. So basically we're routinely running these local sequencing pipeline um, weekly, right? actually twice in a week, and try to generate some baseline sequence, and then also send some of the sample to the Genome Center, basically the core facility for, you know, try to actually have a much bigger picture about the, the, the viral dynamics in Hong Kong. When the SARS-CoV-2 genome sequence was made public in January of 2020, the Poon Lab team developed a diagnostic assay and sent it around. By May 2020, it had been sent to 170 labs in 77 countries, including those in the Pasteur network, which is spread out across Asia, Europe, and Africa. I wondered how this sharing was managed, and I wondered if Leo Poon might have a fleet of private jets. I don't. Uh, unfortunately, I wish I have one. Uh, but then um, uh, basically we just do, um, I mean, I actually did not leave the countries, uh, Hong Kong, for two years because of, you know, COVID. And then Hong Kong has a very strict uh, quarantine policy for incoming travelers. So, I mean, basically we just communicate um, by Zoom. So we are one of the WHO reference labs for COVID-19, right at the beginning, right? So because of we developed a diagnostic essay in January, and then because of that, um, we have been asked <coughs> to, 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 to contribute. And, and, and also because um, we have been working on SARS, actually we, we, were, the, we were the lab who discovered SARS, right? Day back yes. in 2003. And then uh, we worked on MERS, H5N1, other type of animal, human, you know, zoonotic disease. So we, we do have a track record for that. So once COVID turned up and then um, we, we were asked to be involved in this. And so we joined a couple of working group under the WHO or other like FAO, OIE, right? To try to facilitate uh, how we can basically improve the standard uh, and also try to help others to, you know, to try to like, for example, detecting COVID-19 at the beginning. So uh, uh, yeah, we, we have been helping others uh, normally by communications and also uh, by, by Zoom meetings. And of wow. course, right at the beginning, we developed a diagnostic test. So we actually distribute this, our test. We have been working with a coronavirus for a long time. So when we heard about this uh, outbreak, actually last day of December, 2019, so there was a press release from Wuhan. Right, and, 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 and expressing the concern about there may be some atypical pneumonia, right? So at that time, we were start to worry about this. So I, we, because we know the history of SARS. So we actually asked my colleagues um, to try to do some preparations 
and try to do some sequence analysis. When the sequence turn up uh, in early January, we use that sequence and together with other sequence to design some uh, RT-PCR assay. So by mid-January, we share our protocol to WHO, and then we also try to make a big batch of uh, uh, reagents so that um, we can basically share our reagents to other members uh, in under the Pasteur, right? Also in other overseas countries as well. So so far, I think we have. I mean, by May 2020, we have sent these uh, reagents to over 150 labs in 70 countries. After our chat, he followed up with me. By May 2020, the reagents had gone to 170 labs in 77 countries. You don't need a large amount of reagents to do these assays, but you need the right reagents. The amount is very small, but it helps because um, they can. It, it takes time for them to, you know, to buy these reagents, to prepare these reagents. But we have sent this process and primer set to them so that they can use that to detect their first COVID patients. Just as a reminder, in early 2020, when Dr. Poon and colleagues were distributing their assays, the U.S. was far from having assays everywhere where they were needed. Hong Kong has a different state of alertness about infectious disease. Basically, we know about this in December of at the last day of December 2019, right? That was a, I mean, that was a press release from Wuhan, right? And then, um, and because of the history of SARS, so everyone here in Hong Kong, you know, become very alert. And, and, and then uh, there was a uh, news uh, uh, talk about that in public. So basically all the local people in Hong Kong are, is aware of, was aware of this uh, atypical pneumonia in Wuhan. At the time the cluster of atypical pneumonia in Wuhan became known, there was no assay for COVID-19 in the U.S. in the state health departments. On February 4th, 2020, the U.S. Secretary of Health and Human Services, who was part of the Trump administration, declared a public health emergency in the U.S. And the Food and Drug Administration granted emergency use authorization to the CDC for an RT-PCR diagnostic test. In February, a number of state public health labs had trouble validating this test. It turns out that there were some contamination issue and the test was not working as expected. So the U.S. was struggling to get the assays to work to test for COVID-19. Of course, developing, validating, troubleshooting assays on a large scale during a pandemic is difficult. Uh, to be honest, I think we have to be fair to them. And that's why it is so important to have multiple groups work together so that they can have an independent uh, opinion and also, also independent reagents, right? Because uh, if something went wrong for one particular uh, institution, there are others which can manage to help, right? I think, I think that, 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 I think we have to be fair, right? There's no single institution can, can do all this, right? If we just put all the eggs in a single basket, that, that would be too bad. Maybe something happened. It's not something that they want, but it does happen, right? This Murphy's Law, right? So, I mean, if, if something can run wrong, it could. So, I think that's why we, we should have uh, multiple partners to, to be engaged. In, in these activities. Collaboration and helping others has been quite crucial in the battle against COVID-19. And that might have left its mark on the research community. As I produce this podcast, Leo Poon is facing a COVID-19 lockdown. But there are many diagnostic assays, much is known about the virus, and there are vaccines too, of course. So now it's about thinking ahead. 
I wondered what Leo Poon is setting out to do in his research with his team. Actually, um, one of my expertise is doing molecular dynosis. So, so that's why I mean, that's why I'm I'm in the games uh, right at the beginning, right? Uh, because I have been developing assay for SARS in 2003, H5, H7, and 9 MERS. So I, this is part of my research interest, right? It just happened that I'm I live in Hong Kong, so I I have a you know have a lab here and then which close to China. So that's why we can actually help and and try to get to know the situation better. Of course, I mean, I'm also doing my basic research. Like I'm, I'm also, <coughs> I'm, 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 I study basic biology. I study um, a new po- approach for developing vaccines. So, I mean, uh, um, but, but, but it just, you know, we, we, we are, I'm, I'm working in the School of Public Health, right? So health is the, you know, the top of everything in our opinion, right? So we are just contributing our expertise to something which, the public need at the moment, right? I mean, there's always priority. I mean, of course, I mean, I can spend all my time in developing vaccines, but but there's a need now. So I think we, we have to, you know, uh, uh, address the immediately concern as soon as possible, rather than, you know, let somebody else do it. And, and to be honest, I think um, Hong Kong has a, it's a very small city. Um, they don't have that many expertise and not, not many university, right? And then uh, academic stuff, I mean, just, just think about it. Um, we, the faculty of uh, I mean, School of Public Health, we only have around 20 odd faculty members, right, for the whole university at, under the School of Public Health. Right, oh. I mean, if you talk about the faculty of uh, School of Public Health in American universities, you got 100, 200, or maybe even 400 faculty members. So, I mean, we are very small, so we have to be, you know, be flexible. And, and we are the, I mean, put it this way, we are the expert in Hong Kong. So we have to try to contribute our own international uh, 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 way um, to the Hong Kong. 20 faculty members at the School of Public Health is indeed pretty small. Now, given this latest public health emergency, things are changing, and the school is set to grow, as is the field more generally. Here's Leo Poon. Maybe i just uh, give you a, 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 a story. I mean, when I joined this university, Right, the flu group, basically, I mean, the group that I'm, I'm working in now, uh, only have 10 staff, including the PIs, right? I was, I was the third PIs in this group. So, and now we have around, I mean, um, not just under my divisions, um, we have um, 10 PIs now, right? And then there are, we have more than 100 people to work on emerging infectious disease. So I, I think, I mean, that, that we basically ex- explained that um, Hong Kong is uh, maybe a good uh, research hub for emerging infectious disease and so that it can attract uh, young talents to join the team and do something. I mean, of course, we have great scientists. We also have great students as well. So I'm, I look forward to attract more people uh, to, to, to join the force to you know, combat emerging infectious disease. And just look. Hong Kong is a very interesting place. Uh, we have been affected by H5 um, and then uh, SARS, right? And then uh, pandemics. And we have been doing a lot of surveillance in influence and animals. So bird, pigs, and so on and so forth. So we, we do have a long-term track record on these pathogens. So uh, um, so when COVID came, um, and we, we just tried to, you know, 
use what the tool, the tool that we have uh, established in the past, so that we can uh, have the major new findings um, based on the tools that we have developed in the last two decades. Looking to the future, it seems likely that another problematic virus will emerge. I wondered how he looks to the future as a public health researcher. I hope COVID can give us a good lesson. Um, and then also to, you know, to policymakers, right? We, we have gone through SARS at that time. Uh, people said, oh, we, should, we should try to do better surveillance on animals. And yes, we have some funding in the past. Not, not only, I mean, scientists. So, but then... Um, after a few years, three, two or three years, and then all the all the fundings for that collapsed. Right, so only a few group can survive. At that time, say, hey, yes, SARS, uh, yes, we have SARS, but then it's all gone, so it disappears. We will not be affected by these anymore, right? And then um, also other disease, uh, Ebola, or dengue, Zika. Yeah, people are talking about this, and then they say this is all, all talk about this as a past tense. So they never worry there will be another one. And the other argument is, um, yeah, I mean, I know this is dangerous. Um, the animals carry dangerous virus, but then we have HIV, <clears throat> we have TB, we have multiple drug-resistant pathogens in, in human. So how, how we can allocate these resources uh, for this animal work, but then cutting the budget for these human pathogens. So again, I think we, we have to try to come in a way that um, we should try to allocate the resources better, right? Maybe not for the HIV. I mean, this health issue is important. Just think about how much money that you can spend in preventing the introduction of this animal virus to human, and how much you need to spend after this pandemic, right? Basically, now COVID nineteen is basically given a good lesson. So maybe you just spend few percentage of your GDP or your expenditures on, on, on the community just allocate them for health or health-related research. That, that will already help to try to prevent this type of um, animal in, uh, virus introductions. At least we can know better. At least we can try to find a better way to control it and reduce the risk. Or maybe we can even develop some vaccines just in case uh, in future there's a, a virus coming in. We, we have something can, can able to use or at least as build, build, a proper, build up a proper platforms so that we can use this platform, for example, doing um, vaccines, um, vector diagnostics, or antiviral treatment, and, and that type of things, right? Um, for my point of view, as a school of public health, health practitioners, preventive measures is always, or pandemic preparedness, is always better than, you know, try to address the a real problem. The pandemic has taught some awful lessons. As I produce this podcast worldwide, there have been over 6 million deaths, and 1 million of them are in the U.S. Human, you know, have a very have a strong tendency, have a very strong short-term memory. And then uh, maybe a few years' time, when we overcome uh, COVID, then people will think, hey, yeah, maybe we should try to money spend more money on, on stock market <laughs> rather than on building up the infrastructure for, for health. These days, there are many assays and tests for the virus that causes COVID-19. Some tests are fast and cheap, perhaps even locally produced. Some are less accurate, and others are more elaborate and expensive, but terrifically accurate. It's a difficult balance to strike in a pandemic when many tests are needed. For Leo Poon, having the many approaches is a good development. 
I think we run need to do this in parallel. I think we need all of that, right? For point of call care tests, you want to have a quick result so that you can allow her to have a problem management, clinical management, right? Should be when you have someone who's acutely ill, for example, right in a hospital. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we, we, you want to have a quick answer. So if this person is uh, infected by COVID and then maybe actually try to put it in quarantine care, isolation ward, right? And maybe if you have antiviral, we can actually give the antiviral right at the beginning. But then we also need to have something very accurate, uh, robust and high throughput for, you know, for public health surveillance. If without those informations, we may not able to know the dynamic of these pathogens in the country. So that the government will not able to respond, right? Maybe if we all of us doing just doing rapid antigen tests by ourselves, we will not be reported to the government. So the government or the healthcare organization will not able to try to capture this data so that they, they can able to assess the situation. So I think we need both of them, not only one or all the others. Uh, and basically, we have to be uh, uh, more comprehensive. Uh, I see. And that might also involve wastewater screening. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that, that is an interesting story. Um, we have been uh, collaborating with uh, uh, Pasteur, Hong Kong Pasteur and, and, and Faculty of Engineering of Hong Kong U. We have been collaborating together. They try to um, collect sewage samples, basically wastewater in different community and try to test them uh, for positivity of um, SARS-CoV-2. So in the past, we managed to identify some COVID-19 positive buildings. So that after that, um, we, I mean, the government will try to send a team there to, and do a mandatory testing for all the residents in that building. And we, I mean, they pick up some asymptomatic COVID patients um, and that can help to reduce the spreading of COVID in the community. I spoke to Dr. Poon a while ago, and he was kind of describing, with some foresight, the situation we are in now, in which people are mainly doing at-home testing. So healthcare workers are not tracking these data because these data are not being recorded. Wastewater testing does bring up a certain amount of tension between privacy and public health. But transmission can be tracked this way. Here is how it basically works. They collect the samples and then uh, they will try to ha- extract the RNA and then send the lab, send the RNA to the labs and, and, and try to detect for uh, viral RNA of SARS-CoV-2. So, I mean, I mean, there are many people doing surveillance of wastewater, but then that is used for, you know, for epidemiological study. So it's just to find out whether this region have any upsurge of COVID cases, uh, whether this region is positive for COVID or not. So, but, but we go to the, another level is try to use this data to try to inform um, the public health team to try to see tell them whether we should try to do a mandatory testing for these particular buildings or these particular areas so that we can able to pick up these asymptomatic cases so that we can basically try to prevent these people to infect other people in, in, in uh, subsequently. Of course, not all countries will be able or willing to pursue individual residences. And this is about ultimately finding culturally appropriate policies. And then there is the fact that the virus itself doesn't sit still. We are uh, are having an issue now because uh, we we have an introduction of Omicron, right? And now we are having a fifth wave. So now we we have been using these strategies, but then uh, apparently it's not go to the right directions. Now the number of cases still go up, 
And because the Omicron BA2 is so infectious, so contagious. <coughs> and then uh, we have uh, several thousand cases um, yesterday. So I, I think the government is now to step up more stringent control measures to, to try to control it better. Maybe the government uh, would like to try to introduce more frequent testing. I spoke with Leo Poon before the new episodes of spread happened and very stringent measures, including lockdown, were put in place yet again. The Chinese government has put in place a zero COVID policy, which is difficult to uphold and may not be sustainable. Hong Kong has been hit by many COVID-19 waves, as have many regions of the world. This is the fifth wave in Hong Kong. So oh, yeah. that, that I think we have been doing quite well in the past. We don't have a local case uh, circulation of COVID for, for months. But Omicron, you know, now again, we, it's very hard for us to fight against the nature. The virus immunity and then make it more transmissible. And, and of course, um, I, I do have a full trust to, to the scientists here and also the government. So we may try to come up with the uh, strategies to, to deal with it. And, and the good thing is um, um, the majority of Hong Kong citizens has been vaccinated, right? So, I mean, the death rate is supposed to be low, but we still try to put, push hard um, to those uh, who has not been vaccinated yet. And, and we just, I think this may be an opportunity to convince them. This may be the last minute for them to, to be vaccinated. I wondered if everyone in his circle had stayed out of harm's way. None of my friends have been uh, infected, right? Because I, I told you before, um, the, the cases in Hong Kong are so low in the past. So, but we are not so sure now because of the Omicron, a BA2. Uh, but, but I just, what I can do is just encourage them, you know, stay at home, uh, work from home, maybe wear a mask properly and then stop social mixing and, and things like that. And for me, I mean, I, 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 I basically work alone most of the time. I come to my office and then do my own work, right? And then, uh, and then um, and of course, I mean, we, we still have to work because um, we are the task force to try to understand COVID in Hong Kong. I and mean, we, we can't stop our activity. So, I mean, in terms of the work activities, we are still in full gear, right? Of course, we see friends much less frequent than before. And then, um, but this is uh, the new norms in, 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 in Hong Kong now. The new normal means different things to different people, of course. But for someone in public health, these are extraordinary new normal times. I'm, I'm just doing my job. I mean, I, so, I, mean I, I really think that I'm just doing my job. I, I'm in the School of Public Health. I work because I just want to, you know, combat this infectious disease. And this is the mandate of our divisions. We try to uh, control or try to reduce the risk having these uh, animal to human uh, transmissions. And, and we have been doing it 20 years ago and we are still doing it now. That was Conversations with Scientists, an episode in the series I'm calling Creative Grit. Today's episode was with Dr. Leo Poon, co-director of the Hong Kong University Pasteur Research Pool and a scientist at the Hong Kong University School of Public Health. And I just wanted to say, because there's confusion about these things sometimes, the University of Hong Kong and the Institut Pasteur did not pay to be in this podcast. This is independent journalism that I produce in my living room. I'm Vivian Marks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.